So I will get started. Uh, hello and welcome to the Week Ahead in Russia, RFRL's Monday podcast about significant developments and upcoming events in Moscow and beyond. I'm Steve Gutterman, and my guest today is Dr. Olga Oliker, Program Director for Europe and Central Asia at the International Crisis Group. Uh, thanks very much for joining me today, uh, Dr. Oliker. Thank you for having me back again. All right. It's great to have you on the podcast again. Now, uh, as we have for several weeks, uh, we're doing this on Twitter spaces, and we're happy to take a few questions at the end. So uh, if listeners have uh, questions, uh, have a question, please send it by, by DM during the conversation, if you can. Uh, and once again this week, I just want to preface the discussion with a comment, uh, just to say, while I do conduct this podcast and talk about Russia's uh, unprovoked war against Ukraine, on another level or on several levels, there are really no words. Uh, that may be a trite expression, but I think it's fitting. I, I have no words to describe the enormity of what Putin has done and is doing. Certainly none that's fit to be used on the air. Uh, but I do think it's worth discussing. Uh, and one thing I want to talk about today is kind of where is this war headed now? Uh, Russian forces have retreated from the areas around Kiev and Chernigov in the north, uh, leaving evidence of war crimes in their wake, uh, though not only in that region by any means. And there are, of course, uh, signs that the main military action um, uh, may be taking place uh, in the coming coming weeks uh, in, in the southeast, with Russia trying to control the Donbass and maybe as much land as possible around it, uh, including the so-called land bridge to Crimea. Now, there's also talk, though, uh, that Putin wants something he can claim as a victory uh, for Russia's World War II Victory Day celebrations on May 9th. Um, uh, but on the other hand, many people predict that the war will continue long past that, you know, for months or years. Uh, what do you think, Olga? Does it look like some kind of watershed is likely in the next month or so? And, and how much will um, the actions of the West influence where the war goes from here? So, you know, I was talking to a friend in Ukraine recently, and I said, excuse me, I said something to the effect of, next two weeks will be critical and my friend said you know you westerners you've been telling us that the next two weeks will be critical for the last seven weeks um you know at some point this uh, everything is critical and i think on the one hand that's right on the other hand we have been observing a certain quieting of the fighting as russian forces rearrange themselves and ukrainian forces rearrange themselves too so in recent days we've seen some missile attacks but we haven't seen the combat uh, that we'd been seeing in the past. Um, the Russian troops have moved out from around Kiev and from the north, from Chernihiv, as you said, but what they're doing is trying to be in a position to, on the one hand, take more territory in Donbass, and on the other, at least hold territory in the south. So where we've seen the Russians fail in a very large-scale approach along four axes at once um, way of doing things that, that clearly failed, they now are trying something more concentrated. And so the question is, 
Will they be better at it? The other question is what happens to the Ukrainian forces, which have been fighting defense against this fairly ineffective Russian approach when they um, have to fight, well, I mean, if the one of the, the one of the questions is, will they be fighting defense in Donbass, or will they try to go on the offensive in any real way there and try to get territory back that Russia has been able to gain in the east? And also, can they keep Russian forces tied down in the south as well, um, which could dilute some of their capacity for action? So really understanding how all of this works um, I mean, we'll see when the fighting starts. My guess is nobody uh, nobody knows yet. Um, I think Russian rhetoric at home makes it hard to sell a real retreat. But if Russian forces do poorly on the ground, we'll probably see even more bombardment and an effort to break the Ukrainian will. Um, as for what the West does or doesn't do, I mean, I think the continuing supply of weapons to Ukraine is what's keeping the Ukrainians fighting. You know, before this war started, um, I believed and said that there is no amount of weaponry that Western states can provide to Ukraine that would make it possible for them to win this war. Um, I no longer think that, but if weaponry is not provided, they will definitely lose this war. Uh, that, that's very interesting. Um... And, I, and I'm just wondering, uh, what do you perceive as kind of the, the, the point at which um, that that changed? I guess the idea that, um, you know, can Ukraine actually win the war? And what would, what would that constitute? I mean, does that mean driving, you know, Russian forces out of Ukraine altogether? Um, or, you know, or, or what's the win? That's, I mean, I think that's that's a great question, and it's up to the Ukrainians to answer it. Um, yeah. Right. The, the surprise wasn't that the Ukrainians resisted. The surprise was that the Russians weren't that good. Um, and this is why it's going to be really, you know, this is why we're all going to be watching what happens in this more concentrated fight, because it's different circumstances for both of these forces. Um, what constitutes a win? I mean, look, to some extent, the Ukrainians have won in that the Russian, what the Russians expected and what, honestly, most people expected, which was the Russian capacity to take control of big chunks of Ukraine and potentially do what they seem to have wanted to do, which is force um, a change of government or the exile of the government of Ukraine. So that failed. So the Ukrainians already won something. Um the question now is, what what can they settle for? And the answer to that really depends on what they can do in the fighting on the ground and what the Russians can do. That is really going to define what concessions both Moscow and Ukraine are willing to make at the negotiating table, if any. Right, absolutely. And um, I mean, I guess you know, I'll move on to the next question in, in a minute. But and it's kind of related to the idea of. You know, will if, if if Putin needs some kind of a victory, and, and of course now they've shifted. You know, Russian officials have shifted quite a bit to saying, you know, the the, the this operation, what they call a special military operation, is to defend the uh, to defend the Donbass um, 
you know, maybe to uh, control the the entirety of the uh, Donetsk and Luhansk regions. Um, so I guess one big question is whether whether if that kind of is is looking like an outcome, whether whether that will end up essentially being enough uh, for Putin. Um, and uh, so, so the other question I would ask that I think is a little bit related to that is, is more about Russia. Uh, it's probably too broad a question, but kind of is the situation in Russia sustainable? The country is really drawing in on itself. Um, many of the most productive and promising citizens are fleeing. Uh, the, the government last week uh, revoked the registrations of 15 NGOs, including Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, um, and independent media have been destroyed or chased out uh, for the most part. Uh, and these are all developments, you know, the, the NGOs uh, being deprived of registration. Those are just, you know, it's kind of the latest developments in what's been this huge crackdown since, uh, I guess, the beginning of... Um, of 2021, when, when Alexei Navalny returned, um, but uh, it's obviously been been stepped up in a big way uh, during the war, and, and things have changed. Um, and then there's the Western sanctions and the the economic effects, um, and the, the atmosphere created by by officials and state TV. State TV uh, is nonstop kind of venomous propaganda, both against Ukraine at this point and and NATO and the U.S. and the West. Um, how sustainable is this, I guess, and, and and how much does the answer depend on the actions of the West? Is there something the West can do to change things in this? So on the question of victory, I mean, I'm sure that um, Moscow would love to have a victory for May 9th for Victory Day, but they'll have the old one to fall, fall back on if, uh, if they must. Um, and, you know, I think they can sell a retreat if it's absolutely necessary as having defended the population and gained for them certain rights, like the right to speak Russian, which they had and will continue to have under, you know, every imaginable circumstance. So, you know, th this is the wonderful thing about foreign policy is that countries generally are pretty good at selling uh, foreign policy to publics. Uh, and in Moscow right now, I mean, as you say, there's such control of the media that, um, you know, I, I don't know that they're going to have uh, much pushback, but they'd certainly much, much rather win. Um, as to the what's going on in Russia right now within Russia, Look, it's really ugly and depressing. Uh, you know, you said you had no words for what's going on in Ukraine. And despite all the words that I keep speaking, um, I certainly don't have adequate ones either. I also don't have adequate words for what's going on in, uh, in Russia. Um, you know, of course, it's a very different situation. It's not, it's not bloodshed and death. Uh, it's the reversal of 40 years of evolution and progress so you're seeing a country that's going back to something that sort of looks like the early 1980s at best, but without this um, promise of a bright communist future, even by, though by the early 1980s, everybody pretty much knew it was a lie. There's just this promise of standing up to the West and suffering for the sake of standing up to the West. And I'd like to think that people aren't going to put up with that for forever. But I also want to avoid 
wishful analysis and Russia in various incarnations has stuck it out through far worse. And the rally around the flag effect helped by the propaganda, the fact that people who think differently are fleeing in droves, um, all of that's pretty powerful. So I think we can hope for it to end and plan for it to last. Um, and so what can the West do? Well, the West can prepare for it to last, right? Not expect that its sanctions and its support for Ukraine are going to lead to massive changes in Russia, even if they may want that to happen. They should expect that not to happen. Uh, that means we're going to have a new European security order in which we have a Russia that is um, turning into a fortress that views the Western states, NATO, as a threat uh, that might be, um, that's certainly hostile and might be aggressive towards neighbors, but also has just seen uh, the limits of its favorite tool of national power, its military, um, demonstrated, right? No matter what happens in Ukraine going forward, Russia has seen that its military can't do everything Russia thought its military could do, and that's going to have an impact. So we're actually going into, I think, a very dangerous future uh, under most uh, comparatively likely scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned kind of going back to, to something that looks like the early 80s, and I was sort of right about that recently, you know, different people have different ideas about what year Russia's going back to. It's sort of an exercise, um, you know. Yeah, we're seeing bits of the 30s, too, just so yep. far without the shootings. And, and as I think you alluded to uh, or said, you know, there's kind of the differences at the time, at least, uh, you know, the, the, the idea was that they're moving forward, um, from that period, whatever it was, from the 80s or 30s. And now, um, at least critics of, of the Kremlin and, and people who are, are concerned about what's happening in Russia feel like, okay, we're back in the 80s, but now we're, we're moving, or they're moving backwards. Uh, so that's, you know, another thing uh, to be considered. But as you say, you know, many of the, uh, the people who, who want change and, and don't like what's going on or actively don't like it, you know, have, have left or are leaving. So um, really, it's it's hard to kind of fathom what, what's gonna, it's going to happen there uh, going forward. And I guess it's going to uh, depend quite a bit on, on what, what happens in Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, my line is hope for the best, but don't expect it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, uh, we need to, uh, we're running out of time, but let's uh, take a few questions, uh, if any have have come in, uh, or if any come up now. Just to wait a minute and see if there are any questions. Okay, if anyone has any, you can uh, request uh, to speak. Um, so just give it a give it a little more time. Uh, if none, we can wrap it up. All right. Well, uh, I will uh, wrap it up there, uh, Dr. Olker. Thanks very much once again. Uh, you know, just 
incredibly interesting insights, I think, uh, from you on this disastrous uh, situation. So thank you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Um, now, there will be no uh, Week Ahead in Russia podcast next Monday, but I will be back the following week on uh, April 25th. Meanwhile, please keep an eye out for on Friday for my Week in Russia newsletter. Thanks for listening.